if you're driving from Texas to Texas, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to drive across Texas, right? You're just in Texas. You're not even doing like multi-state travel. You need something more than what electric is providing up to this point. They're already beginning to provide those longer uh, distance batteries, and that's still just in lithium. Once we break out of lithium, we're talking about the, the whole thing of, wait, you had to go and get gas how often? Once more unto the breach, dear friend. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Uh, today we will talk about such things as dreary science and other exciting things like currency exchange. So stay How about tuned. NTFs? Can we talk about ETFs? We will also talk NFTs, about NFTs, 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 ETFs, non-fungible non tokens. Right, right. So we will talk about other acronyms that other people don't understand, and that should be exciting. But before we do, we have an extra exciting bit of information, and that is our disclosures. Mm. Which, uh, number one, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, a radio program. Right podcast, but also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Really? Uh, I know. It sounds shocking, doesn't it? Right, it is. Um, the SEC doesn't say, you guys are cool at any point in any of our filings, nor do they say, you guys are really horrible at any point in our, our filings. We're more proud about the second part than the first part, but they don't give us any kind of thumbs up because we're registered with them. They're just our regulator. Number two, this, uh, we're registered to give investment advice, but we don't do that on the air because in order to give fiduciary investment advice, we have to know you all. And while it has been said that we are our only audience, um, know thyself is difficult. So um, we can't give advice on the air unless we know all of you. And what's more, we still can't, even if we knew you all, unless we got a document from you all saying it was okay to share the advice with all the rest of you for your specific advice. So uh, we'll get those forms out to you immediately. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, we can. I've got another one. You go ahead. Go ahead. Since we're providing educational information and not investment advice on this radio program, we need to tell you that the information that we provide is educational information has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And you have no idea how long it took me to be able to say that clearly. Well, you've been saying it clearly for so long, or at least clearly unclearly. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, right. And the last bit of information that we should give you, as riveting and interesting as the prior disclosures, is that we don't pay for this radio program. I'm shocked. Ah, that's horrible, horrible. Uh, they don't also pay us for this radio program. We've been doing this radio program since 1996 on KTEM 1400. The podcast is a much more recent thing. Podcast was something you said in horror movies about people whose brains had been t 
taken over. Uh, and now it has to do with um, things you stick in your ear and, and wander around glazed-eyed listening to something no one else can hear. Yeah, so that, that is, uh, I think that was all of our disclosures. The United States economy is on a roll. It's on a tear. Uh, the Federal Reserve recognizes it's on a tear and is doing a couple of things that are very important. One, they're raising short-term interest rates very slowly. Why are they raising them very slowly? Why don't they raise them quickly and slow down this inflation? Because the kind of raising of interest rates, the, the kind of inflation that the Federal Reserve controls is internally generated inflation. In other words, it's inflation that we generate for ourselves because of, our, because of what we're doing internally. The raising of interest rates by the Federal Reserve does not change the supply chain. It doesn't change China's COVID condition, and it doesn't change the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And if those things are causing inflation, the Federal Reserve can't adjust for that. What it can do is slow our economy down a little bit when our economy is running faster than it can sustain for a period of time. And that's their job, and I think they're doing a good job of that. If they raised it suddenly, it would probably scare everybody, and we it's like hitting the brakes suddenly with people without seatbelts on. It's not a good idea. That's one of the things market's afraid of, by the way, is the Fed will do something like that. We can, you got something else? Because I can talk about the Fed a little more if you'd like. All right, yeah, let's talk about the Fed. This is one of the biggest things that's happened this week when you're not looking at the war. The Fed raised interest rates. I was having people all the way up to that moment. What if, the, what if they do? What if they raise interest rates? And my response has been, well, they, they will. They've been saying they will now for six months. They've been saying in March we'll be raising interest rates. So if they don't, and they haven't warned us that they're not going to, then that would be a surprise, and that's not what the Fed's about. So it still surprises people that they're honest. The Fed has the option of stimulating the economy by doing two things. And one of the two things they didn't used to do very much, but now they do a lot. One thing is they lower interest rates, which makes borrowing less expensive, which means more people have more money because they borrowed it. And they go out and spend the money. And that generates jobs and it generates other things going on in the economy and people buying things. The other thing they can do is literally control the amount of money that's in the economy by their open market activities, which is buying or selling things uh, on the open market. And it either increases, they either grow their balance sheet or they shrink their balance sheet. Now, that sounds goofy and it is goofy. If they grow their balance sheet, they are literally taking securities that people own, government securities or mortgage securities or whatever, bonds, and converting them into dollars as they purchase them, which puts more dollars in circulation in the economy, which is a stimulus to the economy. How they do that? They buy it. So their balance sheets get bigger because they own a bond and they gave right. cash to the public. They've indicated they're going to do two things. This was in the press conference and in what we call the dot plot, which is uh, listening to voting members of the Federal Reserve Board when they make speeches as they indicate, and they strategize this out very carefully, by the way, uh, when they indicate what the future is likely to hold for the Federal Reserve. It looks like pretty clearly at this point, the Fed is penciling in, that's the term that's used, and notice it's pencil and not pen, so they can change it. At least six interest rates increases this year. That puts the short-term rate at 1.5%. Now, why are they doing this gradually? 
Well, up until very recently, the 10-year interest rate wasn't 1.5%. And if short-term rates get higher than the 10-year rate for treasuries, that's called an inverted yield curve. And that has big letters written all over it called recession, which stock market crash and all kinds of bad things. But by bringing it up gradually, they move gradually and everything is cool. And we've got a break for a hard break. And if you'd like to contact us off the air, you can do it through email directly, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. Go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where we've got newsletters you can sign up for or read. Uh, radio programs going back lots of time. We've got uh, podcasts available anywhere podcasts are available. Uh, and uh, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. We really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you very much. Uh, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, we really appreciate those of you that are dedicated to us, even when we have technical issues. Until next hour, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. Uh, He's no, got one I'm finger just... raised into the air, so... I, I actually wanted to say one more thing about the Fed. The objective of the Federal Reserve, stated objective, and this is one of those important things, is not to actually slow the economy down. When they During the press conference and in speeches, what they're saying is they're trying to move to a neutral interest rate and a neutral position. And they will be gradually shrinking their balance sheet through natural attrition rather than uh, dumping a bunch of securities on the market, which they could do, uh, which is would be bad. That's important because if the Federal Reserve were to make statements to the effect that the economy is running too hot and too fast and it's our intention to slow it down, that is a little scary because in the past when the Federal Reserve has actually tried to slow the economy down, in about eight out of 10 attempts, they managed to put us into a recession and we get some really interesting bear market results. So they're, they're, it, it, it's one of those little trivia things, minute things that economists and, and people who strategize in the stock market uh, pay a lot of attention to is what is the intent of the Fed? In this particular case, the intent of the Fed is not to slow the economy, which sounds strange based on what we were saying last hour. It is to allow the economy, is to put the monetary machine that drives our economy in neutral. Now, how well they will do that is obviously open. Somewhere between 2 and 3% is the consensus for short-term rates. Uh, to give you some idea of what is happening out there, mortgage rates went above 4% this last week. The average 30-year mortgage is now above 4%, which should slow the housing market a little bit. The Fed is not forcing that 4%. It's happening naturally. That's good. Uh, and we'll continue to monitor this and try to keep you posted on it. But I was really happy to hear Chairman Powell specifically say that the intent is not to slow the economy down. It's to allow natural growth in the economy and shift back to neutral. Was that a relief? That's one of the reasons, by the way, the stock market started up and did its big rise during the week of over 6% after he announced we're raising rates. Um, and, and 
why why is this important? This is important because the Federal Reserve in the past has taken responsibility and um, impetus for starting recessions. I know that sounds weird because you would think that's not their job, but uh, George H.W. Bush probably lost the election to Bill Clinton because we were in the middle of a recession that was started by Greenspan, who did the right thing. He did the right thing, and it cost uh, a sitting president another term. Um, The reason why uh, the Federal Reserve might, uh, uh, Volkner did it as well, might start a recession. Volkner did it uh, to to Reagan. Uh, Jimmy Carter. To Jimmy Carter, and then we had a, a further... And it's Volcker, yeah. A Volcker. Uh, we also had a further recession in 1982 because interest rates still were going up. So he started two recessions on purpose. So when the Federal Reserve comes out and says, we're not trying to slow down the economy here, guys. We're getting the interest rates to a neutral position instead of us trying to speed the economy, we're going to get to the point where the economy's the one that's determining whether it's growing or, or not, not us jumping in, putting life support on a pandemic-based economy, because that's not where we are anymore. Uh, so this is important. This is very important. People, it, it, a lot of this stuff that the Federal Reserve says, you have to really know the context of it. So when they directly say we're not trying to slow the economy, is it their job to sometimes slow the economy? Yes, it is. And it isn't their job as they see it right now to do that. So uh, those of us that are uh, nerdy in, and watch this stuff, we're having little hop up and downs. Yay, they don't think they need to slow us down because we're still in good growth, not bad growth. So the trick is now to watch what they're doing with their balance sheet, which is one of those arcane things that most people don't understand or particularly care about. If the Federal Reserve allows natural shrinkage in their balance sheet, if you hear that, if you see that, which is when something, when, when a bond they have bought matures and they get their, when it matures, if they don't go out and buy another one, that's allowing the natural shrinkage of the uh, of their balance sheet. If that's what they're doing, then they're following through on what they promise. And by the way, they need to shrink their balance sheet. It's very important that they soak up money by shrinking their balance sheet. Because what happens is that $1,000 gets paid to the Fed at that point, by the way, when a bond matures. Um, why is that important? Because... They need to pull some excess money out of the economy, but it needs to happen naturally. And if they do that, then longer-term rates will rise along with their intentional increase in shorter-term rates, and we maintain a positive yield curve. The danger sign, and I don't think it's going to happen, but the danger sign would be if the Fed is not shrinking their balance sheet, if they're not allowing bonds to mature or in fact selling bonds on the open market as opposed to buying them and longer term interest rates fall and shorter term interest rates continue to rise that's what paul Volcker did and alan greenspan did to crush inflation and they did a pretty good job but they generated a recession in the process then there's reason to be concerned but right now it's cool right so that's that's the fed 
good news there, kind of across the board, they're saying the same thing we've been saying for a long time, so they must be right. Wait, um, what did we say about humility at some point what? last hour was being important? I am, Other people should have it. I am the, the most humble person you'll ever meet. I'm very proud of that. Tell you what. I've had some interest. We're changing the subject now. It's no longer, we're fed up with the Fed, and now we're moving on to technology, which we can also be fed up with, but uh, only if it's good food. Battery technology is one of those things that I've gotten some intense curiosity from clients over the last several weeks over new recycling technology, over different forms of batteries, things that Honestly, we've been talking about for quite some time on the program because this is when you follow the research, you're not surprised when the product comes out. Batteries are changing. And one of the big issues that we have in the supply chain fiasco is recognizing that lithium's hard to get right now. China's the number one manufacturer of the stuff. And it takes a while for it to come over here. And it may not be the best battery by may not be i mean we know it's not uh it is a lot better than the lead acid batteries that we've used for a century a lot more energy density a lot more recharge capability and so on but as i've been told by uh clients that are pilots if you look at the energy density of lithium or uh, jet fuel you realize that you're not going to be running jets on battery technology it, by the way anybody that understands jet technology knows that that is impossible you are running a compressed um, fuel air mix and burning it that is not a battery replaceable item we have to have some other combustion going on to run a jet and batteries aren't good at combustion well not purposefully good at combustion sorry i needed to point that out um <clears throat> So there's a lot of areas that batteries don't have the potential to replace yet until we have something completely new as a propulsion. Jets are going to need jet fuel. Um, how we manage takeoff landing, how we manage getting them jet propulsion or not, that's a different thing. One of the big issues that I want to talk about, though, what, why is lithium when I'm saying it's not the best battery, what's out there? There are literally thousands of existing research and hundreds of existing prototypes that are far more energy dense than lithium. A very simple one, aluminum air battery, uh, iron uh, fluid batteries. These are very, very, very simple batteries that have uh, massively more density in their energy. You know that ship that caught on fire in the Atlantic that was full of luxury cars? Yes. Yeah. Maseratis and things right, like that. Right. And they said they couldn't put the fire out because of the lithium batteries in the cars. Yeah. And the Tesla that crashed, and they couldn't put the fire out because the battery was burning so intensely. Right. Well, although the fire departments are getting more up on how to yep. put lithium out. They're just not so good at it in the middle of the ocean. Here's the issue. I think the solution is right here. If lithium batteries burn that well, and we have to have combustion to Do run jets. jet engines, right? Just and we have right now. There's the your way, recycling and, right there. Just use the old batteries right. in jet engines. No, if you have a defective lithium battery, I just got through reading about this this week. 
And a, a car manufacturer manufactures this big hundred, multi hundred pound battery, and um, it doesn't work right. It can be recycled. Right. However, when a battery wears out in an electric car, right now it is not economically uh, effective to recycle them. And this, so they store them. This, and here's what we could do with all those stored batteries you grind them up and you feed them into jet engines. Ah, there you go. That should be great for the ecology too. Green energy. <laughs> you liquidate, you, you, you turn the batteries into some kind of a liquid. All right. I think I need to get a patent on that. Last year, about $90 billion in the United States went into new startups and existing uh, companies for how to better recycle lithium. Um, and none of them were talking about using them crushed up in a jet engine. So you might have something going there. The investment potential is stratospheric. Literally. Yeah, literally, and of course, very, very this, literally. The end results being floating around in the stratosphere would probably block enough sunlight that oh. it would stop global warming too. You can use lithium will probably, if it's in the air, it will make all of the uh, mental illnesses go along away because we'll be breathing the lithium. It should be good, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's a win-win-win situation. No, uh, the reality is that we're going to be transitioning from lithium soon why was lithium chosen as a battery to run all of our portable devices if we know it burns so well <laughs> that's part of it it was cheap that's the big deal aluminum is really cheap but it's used for a lot of other stuff and it's hard to recycle that i, I mean to 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 recharge aluminum air batteries not recycle recycling is easy with aluminum um you have to actually recycle the battery to use it again when it's aluminum air. It's recyclable, and you get nearly 100% back. There's a nice little uh, uh, graph on how that works and so on if you look for it. The reality is that the energy density is hundreds of times more in these other types of batteries. The reason why lithium was used in laptops and in personal electronic devices of many kinds, phones and iPods and all the things, um, earbuds, everything else, just don't think about your earbuds being flammable. Just don't think about that. Oh, your eyeballs are big. You are thinking about it. Um, it's because it was cheap. Lithium was not used in almost anything when they said, hey, let's use lithium to make our batteries. This is very much like Henry Ford, who decided to use this gasoline stuff. Well, why did he choose gasoline for his internal combustion engines? Because it was a byproduct of the refining, refining of kerosene for people's lamps. It was a byproduct that wasn't used for anything. It was too stinky to burn in lamps. It was too flammable. It was more flammable than kerosene. So they were literally dumping it on the ground outside the refineries. When Henry Ford said, I'll use that. It's free. Well, it's not free anymore for those of you who have not been to the gas pump lately. Um, and at some point, you transition to the next energy product the reason why gasoline stayed around as the energy product for so long is because of all the infrastructure that went into putting huge tanks in the ground under every single 
uh, gas station and massive pipelines and big trucks and all of that stuff is a massive investment that you don't just get rid of until you find something a lot better. And it has to be enough a lot better to pay for its own infrastructure. And Enough a lot? Enough, I like that. Yeah, enough you lot. have to have enough a lot better. This You get these terms from um, technical economic uh, folks on the, on the air. That belongs on Sesame Street. Enough a lot. Do you have enough a lot? Um, no, right. but I have an elephant. Um, yes. Yes. A snuff a lot. Uh, a snuffleupagus. Is, is, is it enough right. a lot? Yes. It is enough, enough a lot. lot. I'm going to remember that. Enough a lot. So when, when I talk about our, our look at what the future holds as far as technology and innovation and so on, the world is changing quickly on the technological front how what battery we use uh in the future we're going to transition from lithium to other stuff we may not have a standard here this is kind of interesting we don't have a standard now we're all using lithium in all of our devices but do you charge your phone with the same plug that you charge your computer with the same plug that you charge your earbuds with the same no no you don't <laughs> unless you get them all from one company oh wait no uh, not I even do. that not even that so this is the point there's not a standard that's being replaced for lithium it's something that each product makes the decision on and we're going to begin to see that the heavier batteries like the the liquid iron battery uh, or the iron air battery those are both relatively heavy compared to lithium but the energy density is greater so overall it's lighter that doesn't work so well in a in a cell phone the size of the battery needs to be larger for the efficiency to actually start to show but it works really well inside automobiles that are electric so the fact that Tesla has started by putting lithium batteries in there. Doesn't mean that Tesla is going to stick to lithium batteries. The reality is that they're doing a lot of research in, in other battery types because they're far more interested in getting the best battery than they are in saying, hey, we've already built a plant that, built, that does lithium stuff, so that's what we're sticking to. Uh, that eventually changes as companies get more mature. They're not there yet. So all of that is good news on the technology front the wireless power front it's also good news on other ways of coming up with energy because one of the problems with wind and solar is it's not always windy and it's not always sunny and when it is windy and when it is sunny isn't always the time that you need the energy the most so you have to stick it somewhere we really don't have a good methodology for doing that we're not good at storing energy right now, but we will be. And that means something we talked about last hour. We had a question from a listener about being in oil stocks and, and owning oil companies. I don't think oil's going to go away as an item that's needed to create energy for a very long time, but the demand for it will go down. And I can say that with a great deal of assurance because a lot of electric companies are coming out building cars that are running on electric, which means that they're not going to need gasoline. 
I know that's a it's a big stretch to go from the wait they're electric they don't need gasoline that means the demand will be down in the future um in 10 years from now the demand will likely be significantly less for oil products that's not me going out on a limb this is when you talk to the manufacturers of automobiles when you talk to folks that are changing the way their power plants work from coal and oil to natural gas. Different products are going to occur. If you're making a decision on long-term investing based on what the demand for oil is today, it's probably not a great idea. One of the things that happens in industries that have reached maturity and passed their peak is that they pay really good dividends. So there's a lot of good dividends coming out of uh, oil and gas right now, and that's great as long as you're not expecting to get a lot of appreciation from those stocks over the next couple of years, or next 10 years, I should say, rather than a couple of years. It's just because we've got changing technology. This is an example that you used to tell me about when I was early in my career, um, old Elder Baldy, um, and that is that the number one energy transmission company in the world at the beginning of the 20th century. It was one of the founding companies in the Dow 30, the industrial average. Disappeared in a matter of just a few years. What, what company was it? It was U.S. U- Leather. U.S. Leather. Yeah. Right. Well, how did you know? You're the one that told me. How did that happen? Uh, U.S. Leather, and I just said energy transmission How does that go together? Well, back in the beginning of the steam engines, all the way through up into the 20th century, the way you got power from a steam engine to something else was you connected it with belts, big belts, strong belts that needed to be really, really carefully made, reinforced leather belts that moved from one cog to another to keep things moving. And so what happened? Well, first rubber trees, but then we didn't have enough rubber trees to go around. We were starting to to kill them rather than just take sustainable amounts. So the price of rubber went up and the oil companies said, hey, look over here, we can do that. And so they started making belts made out of oil-based rubber with threads in them to, to... Uh, keep them going. And it caused the number one energy transmission company on the planet to go away. Uh, It's just fascinating. I mean, it didn't go away completely. It still existed making buggy whips and so on for a long time. Um, I think it may actually still exist as some byproduct of a different company, but it's certainly not one of the largest companies on the planet anymore. U.S. Leather like Montgomery Wards, went out of business and nobody bought it. It just ceased to exist. There's only two Dow 30 uh, stocks that I know of that just ceased to exist. Now, they went into total bankruptcy and obviously their property was sold to somebody and and the buildings may have been sold to somebody, but the company per se did not have anybody buy its stuff and make it into a new corporation. It was U.S. Leather and Montgomery Ward, I think. I could be wrong. But that's worth checking out. It's trivia, and uh, but we should we should check it out at some point. Um, so that was my diatribe on technology and how it's not the same anymore, and how the future's just not what it used to be. 
um, Yogi Berra quote there. It's important to recognize that all of the technology that we use, regardless of whether you think the technology is changing because of green reasons or not, it's changing because of efficiency and cheapness. Uh, those that are upset at electric car folks and block them into their charging station with big gas guzzlers because they're saying somehow gas is the thing that they want to keep around. I don't understand that very well because they will eventually switch to electric when it's cheap enough, when it lets them ride their truck across a ranch without scaring the cows. I mean, it's really, I know folks that use electric vehicles on their ranch and they say they're never going back because you don't have that loud noise that you get that startles all the animals if you've got a big truck out there. Now, animals get used to it after a while if you've got them around the machines enough. Anyway, that's I'm heading off on a tangent there. Well, it's a little bit of a tangent. Electricity, I don't think electric vehicles will replace gasoline-powered vehicles until and unless we find a way that you can drive them there 300 miles or whatever that the battery will right. take them and That's, then refill them quickly and go another 300 miles. This, you know, this what, is the point, is that a, a, a aluminum air battery has a 30,000-mile battery mm. that you would have to have replaced however long that takes. I mean, that is that is for the same amount of weight as that 300-mile battery in w one of the earlier Teslas. By right. the way, the, the later models are getting up in the five or 600, but it still takes hours to recharge. Even at a fast recharge right. station, you're only going to... And, and so all of that is part of what we're talking about. You need to get a greater density because if you're driving from Texas... To Texas. Um, <laughs> you're trying to drive across Texas. Right. You're just in Texas. You're not even doing like multi-state travel. You need something more than what electric is providing up to this point. They're already beginning to provide those longer uh, distance batteries, and that's still just in lithium. Once we break out of lithium, we're talking about the, the whole thing of, wait, you had to go and get gas how often? Yeah, and when gas is $20 a, a gallon at the pump these days, that's a little hyperbole, but it is not cheap. It stings just looking at it. We mentioned this last week, and it certainly, I think we put it in the newsletter at some point. Gasoline today, as far as its cost to get you a mile. Yeah, we talked about it on the air, too. It's, it's worth saying is again. Less, it's less today than it was in the early 1970s when it was 35 cents a gallon. Because of the, the amount of hours you have to work to get. But let's put it like this. When gasoline was 35 cents an hour, the minimum wage was $125. you would have to bump the minimum wage up to at least $10 an hour right now to break even. So you can, this is kind of a round, this is a very round figure and it's not completely accurate. It's actually 8.67 times or something. But if you go back to the early 1970s when gasoline was 35 cents a gallon, and you come forward to today, you can pretty much multiply by a little over 10 to get what inflation has done. So gasoline at 35 cents a gallon is the equivalent of gasoline at $3.50 a gallon regular today. But then there is another factor. And the other factor is that cars and pickups and whatever get roughly 
easily twice the gas mileage that they got back then. So it's that bumps up the value to 20. So as crazy as it sounds, in order to get to the same price per mile in terms of gasoline as we paid when I was in college back in the early and getting out of graduating from college and going in the army in the beginning of the 1970s, we'd have to go to $7 a gallon to pay the equivalent price per gallon of gasoline. So we have been through these shocks before. This is nothing like the shock that we got hit with in 1973 with the Arab oil embargo and so on. Very unlikely to cause a recession by itself, particularly in a time period like we have right now where our economy is operating pretty much at full strength. Higher prices of gasoline, this is going to be weird, probably will help bring down real inflation. I think right now would be a really good time for Congress to get rid of the ethanol additive to the gasoline. Absolutely. Because that's adding cost to the gasoline. It's adding inefficiency in your car. It does not burn as well as gasoline. And at the same time, it was done multiple reasons. Number one, it was done to make us energy independent. Well, we're there already and it didn't have to do with the ethanol. Number two, it was done to give some extra benefit to the American farmers because we had massive competition on the farming front. Russia was just taking off and planting all that wheat and corn, and so was Ukraine. Well, they're not right now. So it's a great time that it would not hurt the farmers to take the ethanol out, and it certainly wouldn't make us less energy independent than we already are, if anything more so. That would bring down some price. It would help the farmers because they're already in a good shape. I think it's a win-win to do it now. If we wait till there's not a lot of, uh, or we wait till there's a, a glut of corn again, taking ethanol off the table will cause all the farmers to be really upset. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't either. <laughs> Nobody's talking about it but our us. Political, <laughs> our political system is set up so we have two senators from every state. And we have a bunch of states in the Midwest with low populations and a lot of farmers and two senators and they those farmers don't want the price of corn to come down they want it to go up it's going to go up anyway and they can grow some really cruddy corn that people can't eat and even animals can't eat because it's not proper to eat but you can make ethanol out of it and it's cheap corn that they get paid a lot of money for from government that's the problem with the government program if the government says we're going to buy a lot of corn or we're going to force oil companies to buy a lot of corn from farmers. And that's the law. It's really hard to reverse that law because now there's a lot of farmers who got used to having government mandated money coming in. Right. This is why, again, this would be maybe the only politically palatable, say that 10 times fast, time to do it because corn prices are going to be up anyway, really up. Uh, and if you take ethanol out of the mix, they'll be still up, really up. Uh, it's just one of those, unless you're already planting, you've already got your corn crop planted with the express intent of getting ethanol. Yeah, that, that, that would be tough. And that's why, this is why when you, when you say, Hey, we're going to promote some type of independence at the government level, uh, there were a lot of subsidy programs in coal and in, oil and so on it's hard for those to go away subsidy programs 
get difficult to get rid of. We may only see them go away completely when nobody's buying gasoline anymore. <sighs> anyway, uh, and we're about out of time this week. Good news across the board, except for all the bad news. Hmm. Democracy's the the worst of all governments out there, except for all the others. Yeah. So like that. that sounds Sounds like a winner to me. If you and look- this is the personal wealth coach. And we are also uh, SEC registered investment advisors. We manage portfolios for people who are independently wealthy generally. And you can contact us off the air. We have voicemail on the weekends, live people during the week at 254-947-1111 or toll free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to the webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. Sign up for our newsletter there. Contact us through the contact form. Our radio programs are listed there going back lots of time. We've got podcasts out there. Until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.